The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to From the Pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. This show will air weekly on Thursday nights and will be a presentation of the most informative sermons, conferences, and lectures from Catholic clergy on critical topics for Roman Catholics to find their way and to hold their faith during this horrendous crisis, the modernist heresy, which permeates the Church and the world at every level. From the Pulpit is underwritten by True Restoration Press and True Restoration Media, with streaming videos and membership subscriptions available at truerestoration.org. And while a portion of the operating costs of this program are underwritten by True Restoration Press, we are truly dependent upon listener donations for the continued success of these broadcasts. Restoration radio programs, including this one, are available in the iTunes Store and are syndicated on TuneIn and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration at truerestoration.blogspot.com, on our Facebook page and our recently added daily news feed, which is linked on the blog homepage. Tonight we will hear two sermons from Father Kevin Valancourt, pastor of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Roman Catholic Church in Spokane, Washington. Father will speak tonight and deliver two very timely messages about the realities facing the world and what we as Catholics must do in order to hold our faith during these times. Earlier this week, I'm sure you heard our follow day story that came up in the news and it still has what they call legs, it's still being talked about now. It's based on a memo that was leaked from the Department of Homeland Security, that department that we have in the United States government that was created after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, purposely for the point of prosecuting terror threats that may take place home and abroad insofar as it has the um, authority to do so. You know, Washington will always leak these particular memos here Um, mostly as trial balloons to see how people, the the general reaction of people to them, they'll know how to make certain adjustments along the way, and then eventually what was leaked and maybe had a public uproar for a little while, give it a year or two or a little bit more, and pretty soon the the public's attitude toward it is softened and whatever had been leaked now becomes something that's a reality. It's what has been leaked in that memo that is particularly disturbing because they made sure to, to bring up what they call new designations, a new way they're going to be looking at possible uh, either terrorist threats or groups of people, according to their ideology, that could lead them to the point of becoming or affiliating themselves with terrorists and being uh, either extreme right and being involved in, in bombings and murders and things of that particular nature, a threat to the United States government and the safety of its people. The first ones they mentioned were, were, were military returning from war. They thought that those they would be very susceptible to the very extreme right to join with them in their cause and in that way join up and, and um, become a threat by using their military knowledge, a threat to the country and things of that nature. And that has got something that's continuing to be discussed and going on with more and more as the news continues. 
But what next came out on the day in which this memo was leaked and made it to the news, but really hasn't been discussed much since, is another classification they've come up with for those who are considered to be people who are either not directly terrorist threats themselves, but because of their ideology and its lack of being mainstream, that because of that, that ideology will lead people to join up with or have follow the same practices of those who are considered terrorist threats. Now, this idea of being non-mainstream in values is what's important here in the, in the area of consideration. Being non-mainstream takes on many things. It can either be that a person is pro-life when the majority of the country is going in a direction of pro-choice, and so they figure with somebody if they're going to have that attitude toward it, they're also going to have certain other attitudes that of themselves are going to be something that's dangerous in society and could lead to insurrection and all kinds of other problems that will take place. So if you are non-mainstream at this particular point, then you're expressing what, well, let's call it conservative values. I don't mean politically conservative. I mean you're conserving the points of either a tradition or a law keeping them conserved according to their proper values. Liberty would mean, or libertarian or liberal, would mean the idea of taking false liberty and going away from those laws and either venting new ones or relaxing them because the way the times are is to have that point of relaxation, which of itself is not going to, going to bring a good to society. And so when we're talking about those particular <coughs> values that... Um, society today, or these, at least this memo, shows a great concern toward, is those who may be, um, speak contrary to gay and lesbian ideas of, of making it legal, and legal and acceptable. They're opposed to the legalization of same-sex marriage, especially as it comes state by state by state, now as it gets greater and greater along the way. There are those who are opposed to the legalization of euthanasia, the mercy killing of those whom they say are sick but leads to people taking their own lives just out of either despair or whatever else it might be. They say they have safeguards for it, but those safeguards don't always work. And so opposition to any of these things <coughs> is non-mainstream because the mainstream of people accept them. The opposition we have for this is not based upon an opposition just to a government ideal or just to be sticks in the mud and want to be able to hold on to something, but it's actually based upon the points of the natural law, which a majority of people today either making laws or coming through our universities and colleges and even public high schools or whatever it might be, have no longer received training in the natural law. They show that it's dismissed in every particular way. They've developed new systems of, of philosophy which totally dismiss the whole notion of a natural law that God has imparted in man by his nature certain things that he must follow. <coughs> Among these are the points that are part of nature, the way God has created man, the way he has given to man certain powers and rights and whatever it might be. All these come from the points of the natural law. If you get rid of the natural law, then all of a sudden things that would be against nature, so abortion, um, homosexuality, euthanasia. For example, those activities, those behaviors, are all contrary to the natural law, all contrary to the way God made us in our human nature. 
And if we oppose them in society today, we are non-mainstream. And if we are non-mainstream, according to this leaked memo, we're people who need to be watched. This is going to fit also for people in the area of traditional Catholicism because we are non-mainstream. We are not associating with the bigger structure, the modern church. We've rejected it. We've kind of we've gone on our own at this particular point, held up to values that the modern church, going along with the world, has set aside themselves. According to the gospel of diversity, and many other particular things, they have stepped aside from certain points and have found themselves to be or accepted rather by modern society, by the world itself, because of the profession of their beliefs, but yet in doing so have stepped aside from what the Catholic Church has always professed and believed and has wanted society to follow along with too. All these things are what are called non-mainstream. It was interesting when the head of the Department of Homeland Security was caught you know, about this and asked by several people in the media what is meant by these particular things. The explanation given was, oh, that's just Washington wordsmithing. You know, ironsmithing is the idea where, you know, the four, if you take iron, you put it in, into a hot fire and get it glowing red and then you beat it and form it into something. Wordsmithing is to use, to find the right word to say the right thing. And so the excuse here is saying, oh, this is just the wrong choice of words. There's no explanation saying that this is not what they believe and what they consider to be true. They're just saying this was the wrong choice of words. I don't really believe that it was. I think this is just the way these particular events take place. I look at this as being a warning shot across the bow, if you will. For a number of years now, I've already known that there are watch lists that are out there among the various legal organizations out there, watch lists that are out there for people looking at those who express too conservative a value, who profess things that are too much non-mainstream, who might say some things against Jewish practice that will have Holy Week and Good Friday the way that we practice it instead of the way the modern church will do it, so we offend certain parts of the Jews or whatever else it might be because we're following what the church has always taught. I know, if you, you know, I know about these things because... I know for a number of at least two or three years in the past, my, my name has been on some kind of a watch list. It's not a big thing. It's not anything I get all terrified about and worried and paranoid about, but I just know that I'm a more public figure. I write things. It's out there, what my belief is. Google my name, and you'll find many, many references to the things that I have written and even some of the sermons that I've given. I have no care that I'm public in this particular way because at some point, some way, we must profess what the church teaches to society. We must be the light that is set on, on the lampstand that gives light to the gospel to people. And even so, in some small way that we can do so from this small parish church to assist people to understand what the true and traditional values are, then that's what we will do. And if it offends some particular point or people want to call us, or me particularly, non-mainstream, it doesn't bother me. But it just shows that with this memo that was leaked, they've stepped it up a little bit. They've stepped up this idea of referring to us, to those who will not cave into political correctness in that sense, who are not afraid to, afraid to be the pimple on society, who are not afraid to bring forth and say things that are important to society must know if they are going to come to God the way they should, and to recognize that a society and its values right now are greatly contrary to the law of God, if not the direct law of God and the commandments, 
most assuredly, the natural law. Now, for some people, knowing about these things, hearing about these things, seeing the direction this will go, you know, I'm not that old, but I know in my lifetime that I have seen these similar type of trial balloons being floated. And within a few years, that which was all of a sudden, when the trial balloon was first floated, that society and many people reacted greatly to it because they kept pounded and pounded with it. Eventually, they succumbed to the point, maybe if not total agreement, but the point there was no longer vocal opposition to it anymore because they think, well, everybody's starting to believe it. What can I do? We have our own you know, young people that are going to colleges and universities today. These ideas and some of the things I'm explaining right here and more are being pounded and pounded in their heads. And so they're supposed to have be professing traditional Catholicism, but they're finding with themselves this mixture, this mixture of going along with the world and its values and societies, and yet still saying, still saying, I am traditional Catholic. It's being pounded and pounded and pounded into them by their teachers, by people around them, by different events they must take place in, certain places of employment where people have. You must go to certain classes that keep you thinking this particular way, keep you thinking this way all the time. Because this, after all, as I said, is where society finds its right and true way. And if you step out of line, there is either peer pressure in school or there is punishment on the job. And so you're left to fear if you do not follow these particular things. You're left to fear those above you because you are trying to profess, hopefully to profess, what you know in your Catholic mind and conscience you should do, but because all these pressures are coming to bear, and so fear comes upon you, and you don't. It's better to change and let my peers see that I'm not opposed to them. Go along and not be pressured at job or whatever it might be by following these ideals rather than standing up and saying, I will not go along with it. I know this is wrong. Fire me. Go ahead. Don't want to be friends with me at school? Fine. I don't need that. I'm here to love and serve God. That's what's more important. So what I mean by being a pimple in society, standing up, being noticed, even causing pain. I mention all this not to be political because the church doesn't want you know, priests being political from the pulpit. But I mention all this as something that's come up recently and which I am convinced will come to pass in the next few years. We're going to see more and more pressure come to bear upon people of faith to abandon their faith for the new faith that is out there in society today. And if you don't, you'll be made to fear the fact that you should be doing it or else type thing. Well, I mention this because I want you to understand then what the fear the apostles had and what we read in the gospel story of today. This section of St. John's Gospel is there to explain to us about the fear as it says, the apostles were going through. They were in the upper room for the fear of the Jews because they knew that if they stepped outside, if they walked around, many people knew them. And for all they knew, they would be put to death for the same things that they hold and told and taught that their master did. Remember from time to time, Jesus sent the apostles out two by two to preach and to teach and even to cure and to heal they had that power even while he was alive on earth. They were known people. 
They were known all around. This is why Peter could be discovered while he was warming himself by the fire while Jesus was being tried by the Sanhedrin. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, or rather Peter received, fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus had said of him, that he would deny him, and that brought great sorrow to Peter's heart. But still it just showed that they were known people. And so they were gathered together in the upper room there out of fear. Fear because they know these things are, could take place. And for all they know, they could be put to death as well by professing some things that are non-mainstream, that go contrary to what the Pharisees have taught. And if the Pharisees could so persuade the Romans to put Jesus to death, then it could very much happen they could do it to them. Oh, great fear. Great fear they had in their hearts. But it was a fear they needed to overcome. It was a fear that was based purely on human ideas, human fear. They needed to be strengthened. They needed to be assured that what is all set before them is all, all that God will assist them if they stay true to their beliefs. I know somewhere at the Mass last Sunday, I gave a little bit of an understanding of this particular talk last week too, but I want to expand on this particular point more because this notion of fear and what it does, how crippling it is. One of the, the most crippling things that this type of fear does is it cripples our faith. It makes us let believe less and less in the power of God. It makes us believe less and less in God's love for us. In fact, what it helps us or causes us to do is to start to change our own way of believing. We have a basis for what we believe. We get influenced by people on the outside. We're being influenced in such a way that if we depart too much from what we've been told by the people on the outside, then we're going to be going against them, kicking against the goad, if you will, going non-mainstream. And so in our fear of that, we develop a new kind of faith. We start to justify in our own minds, well, this isn't that bad. This is okay. Everybody else is saying this, so therefore it must be true, simply because everybody else is saying it. This is a bit of what, what it's like with St. Thomas, what happens with him. We see that on that first Easter day, the apostles are gathered in the upper room. They're afraid. They know what will happen. But they, for, they have forgotten what Jesus has told them. They have forgotten that he would be put to death and on the third day would rise again. And so they are there in fear, having forgotten the very words of Christ. They didn't listen as they should, only listen to themselves and their hearts and their natural ways. And Jesus comes in. Right through the walls, the doors are shut, showing he has this glorified body. He brings peace to them, and he gives them the power to forgive sins. And then he leaves. They're so happy, St. John says. He was present there, so happy. They have seen the Lord. It brings them confidence, brings them strength. Whatever fear they had before is starting to go away, and rather quickly. But then there's Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And so when the other apostles meet with Thomas within a day or so and explain what had happened and what he had missed, perhaps more out of sorrow in his heart, but regardless of it was, envy, jealousy, because they had seen the Lord and Christ didn't come and appear to him directly or whatever else it might be, Thomas starts to issue new demands of faith. New demands of faith he never had before while he walked with Jesus. He could see miracles, didn't need to have them explained. They were just done. But now Jesus has come. He has risen from the dead. And now he puts these 
conditions on God. Unless I can see, unless I can feel, I will not believe. But what a change in faith. What a change in idea. Fear has caused that. Fear has taken that. And maybe a point of envy that others can have a simpler faith in what he has. An envy in that that causes him to think and to say such things. Whatever it is, this is where Thomas is. It's amazing the Gospels, um, it's one point that proves to us the Gospels really are true, is that every now and then they show to us some of the apostles themselves in more vulnerable times, helping us to see just who they were and their faults and failings, and then by grace, the grace of God, how they changed. Well, anyway, as it is with Thomas, he issues the, the uh, challenge. Jesus accepts it. One week later, while they're all together, gathered together in the upper room again, Christ comes once again in, and he tells Thomas, he has heard the challenge, come here. And Thomas wants to now feign simple faith. He's afraid. He's afraid because he has been heard by Christ. His new faith that he had developed on his own is now being challenged by God himself and that new faith is just starting to whittle away because it really has no strength. It has no purpose behind it. He doesn't at least at first want to go, but Jesus calls him to him. He places his hands on the side. He's able to touch Jesus. He says those wonderful words, my Lord and my God. But now comes the rebuke of Jesus to Thomas. Thou hast said these things, Thomas, because thou hast seen you believe that I am risen because you've seen me and touched me. But I'm telling you, blessed are they who now and in the future who have not seen such things and yet believe. Who do not need this demonstrated faith but have a simple faith. They know the faith like St. John describes for us in the closing lines of today's epistle. Not everything that Jesus said and did is written down. It doesn't need to be. He wrote down what is necessary for one purpose so you can believe. You can have that simple faith because he is an eyewitness. Trust me. He says, my testimony is true. I know it is true, he says in his gospel. I know it is true because I'm an eyewitness. I know these things took place. What I am telling you right now is sufficient to have great faith, strength that you need in this society that we're in today, in this time of upcoming persecution, to be able to know Jesus Christ and all about him can come from a simple faith. It doesn't take deep theology. Blessed are they who see, who have not seen, rather, and yet believe. Blessed are they who accept the teaching and the authority of tradition that comes down from time. Blessed are they who accept the teachings of the church because we know the church is guided by the Holy Ghost, who do not come back to question it with their own type of faith and say, who does the church think it is? I have my own ideas regarding the, these particular things. I don't think the church is right in this particular topic. Who are we to question the church? This is not just some society, some big organization that's out there. This is the church of Christ himself, founded by Christ himself and kept true and alive by the Holy Ghost. That's the confidence we place in it. And it's that simple faith that when the church tells me this is what I should do, that brings peace to my heart 
instead of worrying about all these extra things I need to have, this different kind of faith that I'm proposing here. Yes, it is true from time to time. We do need to investigate a little bit more on certain things. And that we do. But to constantly be in that frame of mind, to constantly be of such a nature that all we can do is show forth our doubt or make sure that my faith is done my way and God better bend to my way of doing it, of my way of thinking, then we're going contrary to what Jesus has told to Thomas. Blessed are they who have not seen, but who have believed. With that simple belief, and that's all that's necessary. Society today is out there right now to change things, to give qualified systems of belief. My biggest fear, it's not a fear, it's my biggest worry, is that I see good Catholics going into the universities that are out there, or going into workplace. And then when they're challenged in their faith, to start to see them slip. Slip in certain areas because their faith is not strong. People either because of the strength of their other, other people, because of the strength of their personality, a force of words, a charism they have, just even the threat of saying, I will not be your friend anymore if you don't believe these things. All of a sudden, people who are supposed to be good Catholics, to profess to be that, will start to fail in that challenge and fall away. If not completely, but start to accept values that have nothing to do with Catholicism, everything to do with a different system of belief that is contrary to what we teach, to what has been taught for centuries since the time of the apostles. Modern schools are out there and they will rip that stuff from you by the people around you, the associations what you have, the professors that are there. They make it a particular point to say this is now mainstream. And if you have any of these other traditional beliefs and the way you talk, the way you dress, the morals that you have, you're non-mainstream. You're going against society. You are wrong and we will persecute you one way or the other. And unfortunately, not everybody is strong enough. Not everybody has that great faith. Like St. Thomas, they start to challenge. Well, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe if this was there, or maybe because this news program said this, or because some archaeologist found this particular thing, maybe they are right. I need an answer back from the church for this archaeologist, this particular thing, and therefore maybe I'll believe. When the answers have always been there. And so simple faith is lost. And now it becomes this complicated type faith so complicated that we only start to believe if we accept it. Faith is no longer based upon trusting the authority from God himself and coming through the church and what I believe. No, it's if I accept it. Uh-huh, that, that's the, the source of all faith here. It starts and ends with me. Poor people. They will never receive the reward the reward that Jesus promises, and he broke promise to Thomas. Blessed are they who have not seen, but yet believe. Blessed are they who have a simple heart toward faith and believe, and believe more firmly than they've ever done so before, who will not let society and its values take them away, who will not let the world come in and remove from them that very faith 
which they had from the beginning. Start out talking today about the points of politics and the direction society is going. Step by step, the various things that you and I hold dear in the practice of our faith will be challenged, if not by society itself, at least in schools, by neighbors or whatever, or even family members that have fallen away. Our system of belief will be challenged. What comes up to it now is what will you and I do when that challenge comes forth? How will we handle the challenge? What will be our spirit of faith in those times? Will we be willing to be that pimple on society and stand up and show forth and say, I don't care who you are, you're wrong. You're wrong, and you're wrong because of this. Not just because Father says so. Go ask Father. He can explain it. No, I know why you're wrong. I understand the truths of my faith. I understand them in such a simple way, I can explain it to the most complicated person and show that your complicated system of beliefs are wrong because faith is that simple. It is not the faith of simpletons. It is the faith of simplicity. That doesn't have to be complicated. It is just a faith that's based, God has said so, therefore it's true. That's the faith that you and I need. We're going to need it even more stronger day by day as times go on. This little leaked memo that we talk about here is just a trial balloon. Within a few years, we're going to see more pressure come to play upon those of us who are non-mainstream. My prayer for you today is that knowing that it's going to take great faith to persevere through such times of simple persecution, which could lead on to even more. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm trying to be a realist here. I've seen enough changes in society in my life to, to know if it starts here now, within a few years, it'll be accepted. That's where we are today with this leaked memo and non-mainstream people and their beliefs. That doesn't put the fear of God into you, but where society is. And that we need to pray that we are to stay strong and don't yield to society, so much so that we lose our faith. And I don't know what will put the fear of God into you to understand those things. <coughs> My prayer for you is that this simple but strong faith that we know will be so necessary to persevere in our times right now and in the future will be yours and yours in abundance. May God give you this reward of faith that comes after praying and begging and pleading for it yourself. Live by this faith and you will see that God will always be with you to strengthen you and give you the peace that no other person can ever give. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We hope you're enjoying tonight's episode of From the Pulpit. Please be sure to visit truerestoration.org and click on the True Restoration media link to view our available streaming videos and membership subscriptions for purchase and direct download. These purchases will help us continue to bring you the best content and show guests in the Catholic world today. And now, we present the continuation of tonight's program. As we announced earlier, today is the Feast of Christ the King. Pope Pius XI gave us this feast day in, in 1937 when he issued the encyclical 
on Christ as king. And he explained all the purposes and principles behind it there for us to understand about the kingship of Christ and how it is that we are there to follow and live under the banner of Christ the king. He gave us this encyclical toward the end of his pontificate. It wasn't going to be much longer that he was going to be on the face of the earth. He had spent much of his time as Pope teaching us on education, on marriage, and in so many, many other areas that were for the good of Catholics and society for their own lives and so forth. But woven in the midst of all that, of all these teachings, just about every opportunity that he had from the time he was the Pope until the time he died, he always gave warning about something else that was coming to society. And he even mentioned this in his encyclical on Christ the King. When he speaks of this warning again, he says that he institutes this feast day as a sure antidote against this great evil that's afflicting society. For example, here's one of the things that he wrote in his encyclical, beginning his works um, in one of his encyclicals here. He says, A modern revolution that has actually broken out and threatens everywhere, it exceeds in amplitude and violence anything yet experienced in the preceding persecutions launched against the church. He says there's a modern revolution that has actually broken out and threatens everywhere. He says entire people find themselves in danger of falling back into barbarism worse than that which oppressed the greater part of the world at the coming of the Redeemer. This was a tone that Pius XI had set from the beginning of his pontificate, and he kept warning Catholics about this. And like I said, he, he, <clears throat> he kept that warning up and instituted this feast day of Christ the King to help to put to an end this modern revolution. That if more people would live and honor Christ as King, seeking truth, honoring him in that way, then they would not fail like Pilate did in the gospel story of today, to follow Christ as king, to be true seekers after truth, and to live as they know they should. This particular revolution, this particular evil that Pius XI is speaking of, is atheistic communism and also its companion, socialism. He, he writes of this so much in the course of his pontificate to warn people about the great evils that were being afflicted upon the church and mankind as a whole as a result of this evil system. He reminds people that communism, socialism, are not just economic principles that can be accepted and rejected out there by men in society, but rather they have true evil against the works of men. That communism of itself is atheistic in its principle, living away from God, substituting for the things of God and for religion the ways of the state and the ideas of the state, obedience to the state, and following completely whatever the state itself sets up. Socialism, as a principle, goes a little bit further than communism and actually takes away from people their property rights, putting them in the, in the hands of the state. Those things that belong to them by right from God, from nature, they, they work to take away from men in order to lead them in these particular ways. And so he, he works hard to tell us about the evils of communism and socialism. And I know there's going to be some people here today that are going to say, Father, the wall fell already. Russia broke up, and it's now the Soviet Union. The threat of communism is not there anymore. Why spend a whole sermon talking about communism or about socialism? Because they're not around anymore. And I'm going to ask you, how deep did you bury your head like an ostrich? Because that's the only way I can justify a comment like that for people whom I try to say there is no communism, there is no socialism. Communism is very much alive. 
There was a news thing just a few weeks ago, excuse me, a few days ago, asking people, what did you get out of this Olympic stuff that took place in China? If you thought that it's a country that has changed, you are far wrong. They are the largest country on the face of the earth now, promoting, continuing to promote communism, but doing it in such a way as Karl Marx wanted it to be done. Pius XI disclosed these particular points in his encyclical on communism. He said, communism is a pseudo-ideal of justice and equality and fraternity, that they hide their certain things away from people. And this is what the Marxists, the communists were trying to do during this Olympic time, make it look like everything's fine, well, and good. No, they still want world domination according to the principles of communism. They wish to enslave the world according to that way. They are continue to work toward that end. All their military might, everything going on, will tend toward that direction. The events of even two months, the past two months, have shown to us that even Russia is still continuing its practices that it had after the Soviet Union. Anyone who studied, I remember as a, as a child, being growing up, my mother was very strong in the anti-communist movement because she said all Catholics needed to be in the work that we did. Anyway, it was a principle brought up about how the communists always react, the principle of two steps forward, one step back. They will, make their, they will always advance. They will never fully retreat. And so the fall of the wall, the things that have happened in the Soviet Union, all these particular things here are all part of this two step forward, one step back. It may take time for them in that one step back to make the next two steps forward, but guaranteed they will, and that is what is taking place today. And not, even, not just today, but since, as Pope Pius XI warned us about this revolution that has already broken out in his time and exceeds in amplitude and violence anything we've ever seen that will plunge people into a barbarism that's even worse than the time of the coming of Christ, the people throughout the world have already heard the communist and socialist message. They are following them completely. They are teachers of them in, in schools, universities, going down to the high school level even. And if parents think they can send their children off to public school or the public universities and colleges and that they're not going to be affected and touched by these for principles, you're absolutely wrong. That is how communism and socialism have used to advance their ways in society today under this principle of two steps forward, one step back, to keep things hidden and then eventually to be able to get people more and more thinking that way until, like Lenin said, he said that at some particular point, we will so grab society and nations there, they will fall like overripe fruit into our hands. The principles of communism and socialism are taught greatly in our schools today, in the public schools. And even the, ter the terms that are, quote, Catholic schools also have such revolutionary-type teachers. If you see your children coming out of these schools and they're losing their faith, becoming more materialistic, before giving more and way over to the ways of sexuality and immorality, understand this is the point and principle they are being taught in these schools, which is the underlying principle of communism and socialism, to bring an end, to bring a downfall to society through these points of materialism, immorality, and selfish gain. All of these particular points are there. They're, they are part of the principles that happen, and they are very much alive today. Communism starts out with the idea of pretending to better the working classes, to tell the people who are laboring that, yes, there are real abuses, there are abuses taking place. And we can stand back and admit, in some cases, they are true. But they demand a more equitable distribution of all the world's goods, put them all in the hands of the state, the state will take care of everything and distribute them to everybody as they should. 
Pope Pius XI calls this economic terrorism. That's his words, terrorism. This is way back in 1928, 1929, warning us about atheistic communism. And these principles he was warning us about then are taking place today. The worst fact of this whole thing with the communists is that they are atheistic and anti-God. They are mapping out a cold-blooded struggle, at the least detail of which is to bring about a separation of man from God and the true religion. That's their whole point in principle. Don't think it has died off. If you are that naive, you are truly naive. Communism is as live as it was then, when it first was founded in 1917, and its principles even with Karl Marx years before that. When Our Lady came at Fatima, she warned us that there would be like a foul flood, a stench going over the, the mankind here, about the principles of communism, the errors of Russia, she called, because Russia was at the center of Bolshevik communism at that time. She warned us about that, and she gave us means to an end to help to overcome them. Socialism is different a little bit from communism, like I said earlier. Marx rejected it for whatever reason. He didn't want to have the full principles. He borrowed some, but didn't keep the rest. Full-blown socialism seeks power by holding capital, property, wealth, all that in the power of the state. It robs man of the rights of his own property and, and ownership, which are there by his natural right, God-given right. By nature, he has these rights. And it's the point of socialism to take them away. Socialism is materialistic, immoral, and contrary to the Christian ideals of a good society. Pope Pius XI said, when speaking about socialism, he said, it is impossible. No one can be, at the same time, a sincere Christian and a devout socialist. No one can. He shows the evil of that principle goes so contrary to even natural teaching as well as that of what the church has presented. Why bring all this up right now? Communism and socialism are on the rise, and Catholics need to be alerted. We were for so many years the vanguard worldwide against communist advancing. It was Catholics who did many things to stop the advancing of communism. It wasn't just tearing down the wall. It wasn't just because of Star Wars and some political things that brought the end to communism, at least publicly on these particular points. Their economic principles brought them down, but the prayers of many people also worked to do that too. But we'd be foolish to say that with the fall of the wall, then communism died on its own, because it's not true. It's going to do the two steps forward, the one step back, to make sure that it continues to advance. And if we fail in being the vanguard against it, it's going to advance tremendously. Not too long after the wall fell in Berlin, there's a group of traditional priests who promoted the idea that the three Hail Marys after Mass that are prayed specifically for the conversion of Russia, they can just go away right now. We don't need them anymore. Why? Because Russia's gone. That Russia, which is a big evil place, is gone. Anybody who knew anything about Russia and the communists and, and socialism knew it wasn't gone, and it's rearing its ugly head once again right now. Thankfully, that whole idea never got off the ground, and Catholics continue to pray, traditional Catholics continue to pray, these three Hail Marys after Mass toward that end. With the upcoming elections taking place, this is an historical time. This is what everybody's saying. It's a very historical time in these elections. Yes, it is. We have the potential for the legalization of socialism. We're going to open the doors to the exploitation and the principles of communism. It is there. It is not that hard to read the signs. It doesn't take tea leaves. 
Anyone who understands the teachings as the popes have presented to us about the evils of communism, the evils of socialism, how Catholic principles have always taught in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, on the, I ended there because of Vatican II, they ceased, they wouldn't condemn communism. They made an agreement with Russia not to condemn communism, and so it wasn't. And so we see some of the evils in the modern church there where they've come to that compromise with communism and socialism. But Catholic principles were always set from before of explaining to us the evils of socialism, the evils of communism, so we can recognize them for what they are. Again, this is what Our Lady of Fatima came to say. She came to present to us the rosary, the rosary as the weapon that is going to bring to end the, re the errors of Russia being spread, like a foul stench throughout the entire world. She encouraged everyone through Catholics, through the three children there, to pray their rosaries, to pray them faithfully every day for that intention, for that purpose, that Russia will cease, cease spreading her errors. She told about devotion to her Immaculate Heart that God wished spread, that through her Immaculate Heart, these errors would come to an end. It's not going to be by politics. It's not going to be by bombs and wars. It's going to be a spiritual end because communism and socialism, at their basic tenets, are immoral. They are evil. They are against the rights of God and of man. And so therefore, since they are immoral in that sense, it's going to take morality. It's going to take moral teaching, moral force, prayerful force, using the rosary in that way. Our Lady gave us the rosary as a powerful weapon against the forces of evil. St. Dominic tried for years to convert the heretics, and he was unsuccessful. Even wars were fought against the heretics. They didn't change. Finally, finally, Our Lady came, gave him the rosary, and said, Preach my rosary. He did, and the heretics were converted. It stopped their advancing and the church of God could live on. The rosary is such a powerful weapon. It's proved itself to be that way, as a great weapon, especially against communism and socialism. When in Brazil in the 1960s, when the communist revolutionaries were advancing to take over that country, Catholics went on the streets. They didn't have a revolution. They didn't riot. They didn't have bombs. They all played the rosary, prayed the rosary, 400,000, 500,000, up to a million people marched through the streets of Brazil to bring a defeat to communism. And they did. That's the wonderful part about it. They did. With a prayerful, thoughtful idea, I'm going to pray the rosary. I know the, powerful, the power that is in this sacramental. I will use it and use it well. And that spirit of faith, they brought communism to its knees in Brazil. Once that spirit of faith was gone, well, socialism came in, and the first principles of Marxism are there right now. Terrible thing. As I said before, Pope Pius XI also gave us this feast day, the principles, the ideas behind this feast day of living as servants under our great King, Jesus Christ. That we will follow, do everything that he has and understand that his is a peaceful kingdom. He may have rules and laws in his church, but they are not hard to follow. They are there to be able to suppress bad habits and sin within us, to keep us strong and safe. We know that because he is our good king. He desires only that you and I make it to heaven. And we do so by following him and all his laws and all that he rules. If we will follow Christ the king in this spirit, we can bring an end to communism and socialism by encouraging other people to do this. The reason, again, that Pius XI gave us 
the command to pray the act of consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus after every Mass on this feast day is important. And it's important for us this day to pray these prayers with fervor, with understanding of every word, with renewing this consecration. When we say, Be thou king, I mean it in my very heart and soul. I wish to live as Christ the King, and through that, bring an end to any influence the evils of communism and socialism and all they teach may have in my life. Lastly, St. Joseph was presented to us by Pius XI as the patron in the battle against communism. Communism uses as its chief teaching tool the suppression of the working classes by the proletariat, the people above, and so they're always speaking to the working classes and causing class envy, class warfare. St. Joseph was a worker, worked harder perhaps than many of these people who do this point of revolution. St. Joseph, though, when he labored, he labored for God. He showed the true principle of how we labor and what we should do. And so that's why St. Joseph was made the patron in this battle against communism, for you and I to turn to him in prayer to make sure communism and socialism are defeated. Look at the weapons on our side. Now, the, the communism and socialism is advancing day by day. And like I said, it's possible if we're not prayerful and spiritual enough, advancements will be made even in these elections at the national, state, local levels and the initiatives that are set before us. The evils that are presented by them will be advanced if we don't do what we should. The weapons that are given to us, the rosary, to live under Christ the King as we should, to pray to St. Joseph daily for this purpose of the defeat of communism and socialism, it's up to us to pray. Catholics have always been the vanguard, the leading force against, in this battle against communism and socialism. Our best way to do this is by prayer and under the banner of Christ the King. Let's pray that we can do that in that proper spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We hope you have enjoyed, but more importantly, found informative and beneficial this week's presentation of From the Pulpit. For more information on the ministry of Father Kevin Valancourt, you may write to him at the following. Reverend Father Kevin Valancourt, V-A-I-L-L-A-N-C-O-U-R-T, 3914 North Lidgerwood Street, L-I-D-G-E-R-W-O-O-D, Spokane, Washington, 99207. We will be on air one week from this evening at the same time to present two informative sermons on the internal struggles of traditional Catholic priests and laity from Father Anthony Chicada entitled, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? We at Restoration Radio would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small or large it may be. You can do so by going to truerestoration.org and clicking the PayPal Donate button at the bottom of the page. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message at our Twitter handle, at TrueRestoration, or you can contact us directly via email at mail at TrueRestoration.org. Until next time, keep the faith. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.